and welcome to Metaphorically Speaking with me, Delia Delore, the podcast where we walk and talk our way through popular mottos, mantras and metaphors, tracing their contents and history. Each week we have a special guest who resonates with their chosen expression. for starting your week with me and the Metaphorically Speaking team. We have a wonderful metaphor for you today. And every time I hear it, I laugh because although its meaning isn't funny, I just laugh. I don't know why. It's to do with hands and clapping. Did you guess the metaphor? Today's episode, we're taking a look at the age old saying, one hand can't clap. Would you see why I started laughing? (laughs) This expression could be different where you come from. We found that many different nationalities have adopted the saying. Our amazing guest this week, Lawlette Hudson, chose this metaphor to discuss, but we'll get to that later in the episode. I'm really looking forward to it. aren't quite sure you have heard it, you might have heard the saying, it takes two to tango, or something along those lines. It's believed to be a generational thing that the saying isn't used as much nowadays. That is, one hand can't clap and not, it takes two to tango. Nevertheless, it still bears its weight, whether it's the more modern tango version. So now we have a familiarity with today's proverb. Let's chat about what it's typically used to do. One hand can't clap. Meaning it takes two people to do what has been done. For example, if you've been in a fight, I do hope you haven't been in one. Every week, Tyler gave the rules that he and I decided. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. Third rule of Fight Club, someone yells stop, goes limp, taps out, the fight is over. Fourth rule, only two guys to a fight. Fifth rule, After you explain how the fight happened, you might say it was the other person who started it. Someone could say to you, one hand can't clap. In this case, the person would be referring to both participants in the fight to be hands, which end up clapping or fighting. That's the consensus. You'll usually hear the saying in most cases when you or someone has been a little bit naughty. We often do a short history class on episodes, shedding light on where the metaphor of the week has come from. When we were trying to dig up some dirt on one hand can't clap, we found that it might have derived from a question asked, a Buddhist practice known as koan. The question being, what is the sound of one hand clapping? It's used to find the limitations of logical reasoning. I think it does that quite efficiently, considering it has left me stumped. 
That question has been said to supposedly have a straightforward, simple answer. It's to find who can actually get it without overcomplicating things. But as most philosophical questions poses no right or wrong answer, saying there is a simple answer just provokes the thinker to think more. So if you're sitting pondering for an answer, just know there is no simple right or wrong answer. I don't know about you, but the entire time we've been talking about one hand not being able to clap, all I can seem to think about is, can I actually clap with only one of my hands? There is a wiki how on how we can try it. So if you don't mind, I think I'll try it right now. If you want to try yourself at home, feel free. And if you don't, that's okay. But you know, if you want a bit of fun and have an opportunity to laugh at yourself, which is healthy... That's good. So it looks quite straightforward. The first step is just opening your hand far out as it goes. Okay, so I've done that. And now it's saying to just close your four fingers over into your palm. I think it's working. I was a bit skeptical, but listen to me go. It's kind of quiet, right? <laughs> Oh, thank you, guys. You didn't have to give me a round of applause, honestly. I understand our audience likes metaphors and sayings, maybe even a double entendre. I can't help but wonder if you enjoy riddles. They do seem like they are part of the same family. So I found a little riddle that relates to this episode. There's no escape, Riddler. Where are the bombs? Not so fast, Batman. Answer my riddle and I shall tell all that you want. Get it wrong, and Gotham shall fall. Damn you, Riddler. I have cities, but no houses. I have mountains, but no trees. I have water, but no fish. What am I? What, what are you doing? Oh, no, I'm just uh, a map. Did you just... <coughs> Try this for size. I come from a mine and get surrounded by wood always. Everyone... Okay, I see what well, you're I'm doing. I'm not doing anything. No, I clearly That's see... So You've just been Googling these? What? No, I was just telling Robin about how he's he's really missing out you here. You know, I put a lot of time and effort into these, you know, with the riddles and everything. Yeah, yeah well, it's kind of weird I can just find all of these riddles online. Isn't isn't that kind of just strange? You know how difficult it is to get away with putting, like, five bombs across the city wearing green spandex? Maybe just don't. You know, Batman, I, I really don't have any friends or anything. This is, like, my one social interaction of the month, and you're kind of ruining it for me right now. Okay, I hear you. Counterpoint. You're a terrorist. Oh, so all of a sudden that justifies you cheating? In every conceivable way. Oh. Time to get your thinking caps on. Also, don't cheat. You better not be going away and Googling this, right? Are you ready? What has two hands but cannot clap? If you think you've got it, let us know in the comment section of our latest Instagram post at Metaphorically Speaking Delia. Remember, no cheating. I've really only looked at the negative ways we could interpret this metaphor. If we chose to look on the other hand, pun intended, it can really be about togetherness, not being alone. A reminder that there's always going to be someone there for you, even if they aren't right now. A hand for you to clap, if you will. I may have got a little inspiration on that one from our lovely guest today, Lolette Hudson, the founder and CEO of One Hand Can't Clap. Not the saying, she's founded a leadership development program of that name. 
Lolette, a bit like ourselves, is a fan of sayings and the like. She has even written a book about Jamaican proverbs called Things Mama Used to Say. So if you liked our episode a few weeks back on Every Bench Has a Batty, I can guarantee you will love this book. Let's get right into it then, shall we? I think that your metaphor is a very popular one. It can mean different things. Ultimately, I think it is one of the metaphors that can have a really positive outcome because many metaphors in the history of metaphors began as being positive. Mm. Then they changed to be negative. And I find in the new millennium, I've seen a resurgence of metaphors becoming positive. And I think one hand can't clap can be either one of those, Mm. but it depends on how you handle it and how you Mm. look at it. Mm. That's my take on it, but I'm not the guest you are. So how does one hand can't clap resonate with you? It's so dear to me that when I decided to work for myself, I couldn't help but call it one hand can't clap because it just keeps me going. It motivates me. It enables me to understand that I'm never alone. There's always support. There's always partnership. There's always team. There's always someone. So for me, one hand can't clap means that you're never alone. There's always someone somewhere that you can reach out to. And it's around collective responsibility. It's around collective work. It's really about knowing that there is support. There's resources out there for you in that sense, if that makes sense. Yeah. But personal light in terms of an example, can you think of one where if you hadn't thought of the metaphor in that way, that perhaps you wouldn't be where you are today trying to motivate others? It wouldn't happen because it's been in my family. I was brought up in Jamaica in a very tight-knit community and everyone would use that word, one hand can't clap. It's so embedded, it's so in the value of everything. So I couldn't imagine not using it, couldn't imagine not even thinking about it because it's so embedded. And everything I've accomplished I've always think of someone else and it's about taking care of people as well. It's not about you just be by yourself. And if you think about there is nothing that anyone can do of any significance, be able to do it by themselves. And so if we look historically, even as far back as the plantation life or even coming from different parts of Africa, that whole thing around one hand gone clap is our survival methodology it's a wisdom it's a psychology you know it's everything it's so embedded in there and i don't think a lot of people really understand how powerful that is one hand can't clap it's around recognizing that you're never on your own and you have resources and i can give you an example of how i practice that i was a single mother at 17 and i create team and teamwork around my parenting I didn't just feel, well, I was in this world by myself as a 17-year-old single parent. I made sure there were people around me that could support me. So, you know, it's everything I do. It's my philosophy. It's my wisdom. It's everything I do. But, you know, some people, they find it difficult to receive help. I think a lot of the time when we talk about self-improvement and getting support, there are many people who slip through that little gap because they find it hard 
to ask for any kind of support. And some people are in denial on that. So in that situation, one hand can't clap, can't help them, I suppose, if they're not aware of how to ask. Sometimes even pride. I remember, you know, growing up in the Caribbean, pride used to stop a lot of people from asking for help. Yeah, and and we also got to understand that if you yourself have never been around people who show you how to ask for help and ask for support, because, you know, culturally, many of us are brought up, you know, don't tell people your business, you know, don't let people know what's going on. So because of that, as you said about the pride and shame, so many of us don't ask for the help because it's around blame, shame, and complain. You know, there's three things that people are fearful of in terms of my coaching. Are people are going to blame me? or they are going to shame me? Are they going to complain about me? So those three things cause people to hide. And once you actually realize that no one's going to judge you, and even in business, the whole thing around dealing with, with rejection as well, when somebody say no, we make it mean something. So that whole thing around asking for help, you're right. Because if you've never been given the opportunity to see it, and that's why representation matters. You know, you need to have people around you that show you how to ask for help. Because if you've never been shown, how are you going to do it? Now, one hand can't clap. It's over 20 years old. When you started it, I'm sure you were thinking of building a future, but now, 20 years on, 22 years, uh, if we have to be exact, things have changed a lot. So tell my listeners about One Hand Can't Clap. And over the two decades, how have you seen your change and, and what you want the organization to excel in, not just known for, but excel in? What is it that you would like the organization to excel in 20 years on now? For me, it's exactly that. It's around partnership. And you're right. I think you're very visionary in that. And it's a very powerful question. When I started in 2000, I started off working with young people in schools that were excluded. And so I had to think of a way to tackle that. And also it was well documented that African Caribbean black boys were underachieving and underperforming. And so I brought the culture of teamwork to work with them. And so I set up breakfast clubs, which enable them to come along and realize that they're not on their own and, you know, they can think differently. So I did that for six years and really turn around schools and enable young people to recognize that they're not, they're not on their own. There is team and there's people out there. So I would bring people in from industry to come and share their experience with them to let them know that anything is possible. And for me, representation matters. You can't do what you can't see. So after six years, there was a great, huge impact around that work. And then I decided because, you know, mature people were coming to me and having conversations with me around feeling isolated in the workplace and the toxic workplace that they were in, not getting promoted, not knowing how to navigate the system. And so I thought for myself, time to change the methodology of the business and then start working with mature people. And, you know, I did that from 
2006 to recent. And now what I'm actually doing now, work with the individual, I'm doing a lot more group work because we are getting to see that people learn more with other people. Community matters. And so more of the work I'm doing now is more around building team and enabling people that if you're going to build anything, you can no longer do it on your own. You have to think of community. So the move for me um, now is enabling people to work in partnership, so developing partnership working. So this is where the business is going. Instead of being an individual, we're now working in partnership, enabling people to work together to build something bigger than what they would have been imagined being by themselves. The people who come to you now, is there anything sticking out that says, well, most of the people who come to me come because they don't know where to start, or maybe they're just procrastinating, or they know where to start, but they can't do it on their own, and they, 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 they don't know where to find the other people to support them. What are the main reasons they're coming to you? I think people want to play a bigger game. I think people want to play a much bigger game. So, for example, you know, there is that whole movement right now around writing and authors. And what's happening is that authors are coming together and really creating projects where you might get three or four authors coming together now and said, okay, what can we do by ourselves is no longer working. So let's look at three or four or five of us get together as authors and start putting on workshops. And, you know, the relevance and the growth is much quicker than if they were doing it by themselves. And they share resources as well. So that's an area that people are coming to me. They're writing books and then, you know, they operate in isolation. So three or four or five of them coming together and I coach them as a group. So that's one of the movements. And you do other things. I mean, you do quite a lot of things apart from coaching individuals and groups. Tell us a little bit more about the specifics, some of the specific events that you've been producing. To enable people to understand more about the Proverbs cards, thousands of us were brought up on Proverbs, but we really didn't know what they meant. We thought our parents were just talking things that we didn't understand. It's in the moment sometimes what would happen, they would just drop a proverb. You know, if you can't hear, you feel, you know, when beggar beg from beggar and never get rich. And you wonder what are they talking about mm-hmm. until you got older and realized that they were wise philosophy about how you live your life in, mm-hmm. in that sense. So to promote the cards when I created them in 2004 and to enable people to understand what they mean and still continue to understand what they meant, I did a series of roadshows, you know, London, Birmingham, Bristol and Leeds. And so I created an event called Commentize. And that Commentize mean the common experience, the live experience that we all have. And so that's been going, that particular event's been going since 2004. So it's 18 years this year. And every year I have an event and that normally attracts 200 people and mm-hmm. They're face-to-face, and for me, live events. And COVID got me thinking, do I stop it? But I had some great people around me that said, no, let's let's do it on Zoom. And, you know, it even made it more popular because then it became global and international as well. So we had people from different parts of the world that would never happen. So that's one of the events. The next event, we're taking the cards to the next level. I've decided that there's so many of us who were doing great things, 
and where do we go next in order to plan our next step? So I decided to set up a retreat, which enabled people to come along and look at where they're going next, where's their vision, what is it they want to accomplish, and get some experience and insider experience of the culture and the heritage, where the cards come from, and have a food experience, have a Blue Mountain experience around coffee. So we have an experience around food. We have experience around coffee. We have experience around entrepreneurship. So you actually see live experience, lived experience of people who have an idea and want to turn it into a reality. So that's my new venture. How do we get across to the young people that you are there, you are available to guide them? Because I feel that I remember growing up largely in the UK. My parents are from St. Lucia. And I was just told when I was growing up, you need to learn. And then I went to St. Lucia and I was told then you need to learn because we're paying for your everything (laughs) down to your pencil. Because, you know, the Caribbean, you have to pay for everything. And my father said, you know, in the family, what he wanted in terms of what he wanted each of us to aspire to do. We didn't have as much support. In terms of if, if you all we were told at that time is if you want to do this, you have to have have these O levels and those A levels. It wasn't a case of actually meeting someone who worked in the field, who worked in the area expertise that I wanted to be part of. And there certainly wasn't any support groups uh, or mentorships like how you are offering today. And I think that there are still many young people in the UK who are simply told go to school and learn. Yeah, I really get that. I really understand that. And, you know, it is so important what you just pointed out because there is a breakdown in community. And going back to my upbringing, the whole culture is that you get your results through people. And because I suppose there's no wealthy estate, everyone think about, yeah, that other person is going to help me, that support. And it's automatic in terms of, You think of your family, you think of your friends. I see my grandmother took one sweet and she put it into a towel and she crushed it to enable every child to have a bit of this sweet. So, you know, Mm -hmm. brought up knowing that whole thing around sharing. And I grew up in the UK as well. And, you know, that whole thing, you would never go to someone's house and not bring something because you're not clear about what their circumstances is going to be. So you wouldn't take it for granted. Oh, well, I'm going to show up at somebody's house and not bring something because you don't know what their circumstances is. So yes. it's always there. So I was always brought up knowing that I don't go anywhere with my two long hands. <laughs> you know, my mother, my mother always say, you don't go to people's house with your two long hands, you bring something. <laughs> so that whole way of sharing and caring is disappearing and yes our young people need to understand that we care about them and Mm -hmm. enable them to see it in action and the other thing is we used to meet at each other homes and so as a young child you would see that and you see how people operate for example if somebody died you know somebody would bring bottle of rum they would bring bread they would bring something you, don't, you wouldn't just turn up at somebody's house if somebody passed away and not offer something. You know? yes. So that culture is disappearing. And so we need to keep it alive. We are the older ones. We are the next generation of the winner of generation to mm-hmm. enable young people to see it. 
they can't do what they can't see. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, our metaphor, one hand can't clap or one hand can't clap, depending on how some people uh, view it and, and see it. I feel that for us in our generation, it's a very serious metaphor in terms of it allows us to have some positivity and support and community. But to a young person, if you said who who isn't as accommodating to excelling and you said, one hand can't clap, they'll just start laughing because they think of it literally as opposed to what is the meaning behind the metaphor. And yeah, you're right, because when I go into corporation to run workshops, I'll give you an example. Somebody asked me in to work with a group of 20 white men and, you know, there was a breakdown in their teams. And this lady, she's very insightful. So she asked me if I'd come and run a workshop. So I said, yeah, I'll do that. I never bring presentation or anything, a PowerPoint presentation. It's everything happened to me in a conversation. And so the first thing is I got to the reception area. Now imagine this is a large corporation. They've got four reception. So that tells you that it's large. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting there. I'm the only one in reception. And this guy came down and he looked around and he went up to the receptionist and he said, I'm here to collect Miss Hudson, the managing director of One Hand Can't Clap. And so she said, she's over there. And, you know, he came over looking very sheepishly and said, oh, I've come to collect you. I already knew what was going on there, but you yeah. just, don't, just don't take it on. And so I went up to the boardroom and there's this 20 white male, you know, looking at me as if to say, who is this woman? Who is she? What can she teach us? Kind of thing. Because you can see the body language. Arms folded, people looking at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to say? And so I just introduced myself and tell them a little bit about me. And I said, today is not about me in any shape or form. It's about you. It's about you looking at the results that you're not producing. And let's start looking at some concerns. So I put one hand on clap on the board and I got them to really look at exploring what does that mean? What does it mean, you know, in terms of your results, your team and the revenue that you're going to generate for the company? What does that mean? It takes more than one person to do that. You know, you've got a product, you've got your marketing, you've got your sales and you've got your operations. So who is doing what? And, you know, how is that going to work in that sense? Mm-hmm. And really transform the way people operate because they start to really see it. Because you see, the thing is, when you think of about a proverb and you say one hand can't clap, it generates something. And then I said, I'm not going to ask you what's going on. I'm not going to ask you your opinion. What I'm going to ask you is, what is your concerns? And that's a different approach. You know, when you say to somebody, what do you think? It's completely different to what is your concerns? What you think, you're going to tell me you think because you're going to give me your opinion. When I ask you, what is your concerns? You're going to have to start thinking about, oh my goodness, what part do I play in this? Yeah. You know, what am I responsible for? So, you know, even that is the inquiry, which Proverbs enable you to do. What exactly is that person talking about? You know, what exactly are they talking about in that sense? So you start to think in a different way. And the concerns for them was looking at their team, where they're performing, where they're not performing. And by the end of the session, they were so engrossed in understanding that it's all about them being responsible because it's their concerns. Their concern is that if they don't generate the revenue, 
sooner or later, they're not going to have a job. So it really got them to think about what do we do next? Where do we go? That yeah. makes sense to you. Lula, tell us about your flashcards. So I created a 52 box of flashcards, which on one side you've got the Jamaican patois written, and the next side you've got standard English. Because again, it's metaphorical. So what that enables people to see, visibility of it. So when you say you can't sit in a bucket and draw water at the same time, what sticks out in your mind is the bucket. And that's it, is understanding, wow, imagine saying to somebody, you can't sit in a bucket at the same time and draw water. You know, it means that you have to put yourself into action. When beggar beg from beggar, he'll never get rich. So the visibility of that is you're looking at a beggar and thinking, my goodness, that kind of thing. If you can't hear, you feel, and it's about advice. If you don't listen to advice when given, then there's some consequences. And so that's why I created them to enable people not to connect to the history, the culture and metaphors as well. And they're critical thinking. And I can see it as a wonderful conversation piece, you know, when the family is around yeah. and then you can tell stories about that's right. when you first heard it or what does it really mean? And the yeah. young people say, what? Yeah. And I can see it as a really lovely conversation piece. Wonderful. Mm. I think something about metaphors is that we say them very often. People don't understand and realize how often we use them. And one of uh, my guests, uh, she's a therapist, and she said that many, many times when she talks to her clients, she drops metaphors on them because they understand it or they get it. When they say, well, I don't understand why, blah, blah, blah. And then she'll say, well, have you ever heard of the saying pot called kettle black? Mm. You know, and then they get it straight away and they say, oh my gosh, you know, and then, then they're able to kind of open up. So I think that I can, I can relate exactly to what you've just said, but Lolette, um, before we go, perhaps you can tell our listeners how they can contact you. I'm on all the social media, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and my website, which is www.100conclub.co.uk. Thank you so much for being with us, and I wish you continued success. Thank you very much, Dilo. I really love it, and thank you for having me. In the predicament that often arouses the saying, one hand can't clap, we have already made clear and known that it's when both participants are at fault in the situation. But most of us have two hands, and whatever situation we are in, that might bring that saying upon us. We can be the ones to not clap. Just put your hands by your side and remove yourself completely. Our writer, Clark, came across an interesting way the saying has been used in a movie. Well, not in a movie, but it was the movie title. One Hand Can't Clap, Yedna Ruka Nekleska, is the name of a Czech movie comedy directed by David Ondracek. The story follows a man named Thanda after he's released from prison. So we are well acquainted with what this saying means. I think you can guess the direction this movie goes. After his stretch of rehabilitation in prison, Stander has high hopes for the future. But, and here comes the other clapping hand. He meets a new friend and his bad luck starts to pick up again. Who would have guessed it? A story of two crooks tangoing. Do you ever get that thing when you say a word over and over again and it starts to lose its meaning? And then you start thinking that the word is just such a weird word, making a really bizarre noise with your mouth? I'm beginning to get that same feeling about the act of clapping. And I know it's just one of those things that we do. And it has stayed with us throughout history, like when we give a thumbs up or a wave or a whistle. 
Now, don't ask me to do that. <laughs> I remember doing it as a child, really lovely, but as an adult, it just doesn't work out. It's just strange to think that we make noise by clapping our hands together when we appreciate something, like I appreciate you listening to me right now. There's something sweet about it childlike, even maybe a little primal, like an ape banging a stick against a rock when it's excited or scared or confused, a warning to the other apes, or a gorilla pounding its chest to assert their mating status to other gorillas and to threaten them. Martha has finally tracked down dominant silverback Ruchina. and he's got problems of his own. Two of his females seem to be showing a little too much interest in the chess beats from the other group. Believe it or not, that popping sound was the chest beating. I expected it to sound a lot more intimidating, didn't you? It's strange to think that we choose clapping to show appreciation or enjoyment when we have so many words we can express it with. But in a crowd of people, you can't just shout, that was great, no one would hear you. Instead, people group together with this learned behavior to clap at someone to show that was great. And you know what? We even use our feet as well now. Well, I guess it's just one of those things. If we look at where clapping came from, it was from around the 3rd century. It was the works of a Roman playwright. Plautus was the name of this play, and it ended with the word plautide, which was kind of an instruction for the audience to applaud. A bit like when you shout, he's behind you, some interaction with the audience, I guess. It must have stuck and just been a staple for plays to end with applause or plaudite. I know I've already had a play on words with today's saying, but maybe you think today's episode could end with a plaudite? That brings us to the end of our episode. I really hope you enjoyed it and maybe you learned a thing or two. Thank you to our guest, Lolette Hudson, for giving us this wonderful opportunity to research a lovable metaphor. And don't forget, she has this wonderful little book about Caribbean metaphors. So check it out. If you'd like to suggest a metaphor for an upcoming show, you can reach us at colorful.com slash shows slash Delia. And we'd love you to share the show with your friends or leave a review on colorful.com on our podcast, Metaphorically Speaking, which is on Apple, Spotify, and all major streaming platforms. You can also email us at info at metaphoricallyspeaking.uk. Please help us grow. And hey, what about Applaudite? We've finished the show for today. Thank you for staying with us. Please join us for another metaphor next week. Until then, I'm Delia Delore. Keep safe and goodbye.